Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. You can be seated here. 12 Stone Campus is 12 Stone Home. Can you just say his name? Just say Jesus. Cross our camp. Say it again. Say the name Jesus. Our victory is in Jesus Christ, amen? We don't stand as defeated people. We stand as victors because Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death on the cross. And we've been through a lot this year. Anyone say amen? We've been through a lot this year. But we stand in victory because of Jesus Christ. Listen, we, we stand at the precipice of a major decision, church. Is it time to rebuild? See, for 12 months, we sat inside of COVID, and today we start a three-week series inside the book of Nehemiah. And if you don't know who Nehemiah is, Nehemiah was an Old Testament figure where, where God invited him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had crumbled in battle. Today, we get a chance to ask the question, is it time for us to rebuild? See, 12 months ago, when the shutdowns happened, some things started to break down in our life, if we're honest. The walls that once stood firm and secure started to crumble. And it wasn't, wasn't just the, the shutdown that happened and the crumbling of, of the practical place of our life. The values that we built our life on started to crumble, if we're honest. Our relationship walls started to crumble. We started to be isolated and outside of accountability. Our character values started to crumble. The reality that, that we started to give ourselves permission to, to sort of fight through the hopelessness of, of quarantine and lockdown. Our, our faith walls started to crumble as we weren't able to gather in person one in seven days. Souls were empty and dry, and, and things in our life started to crumble. And this year, we've taken losses from elementary school to senior citizens. No one was spared. It's been a difficult season. See, last year, the gym closed, and I said, oh, no, the gym closed. Shoot. My wife reminded me about a month ago, you know the gym's open again. <laughs> that stung a little. The restaurants closed. We never went back to rebuilding date night. See, church closed, and some of us never went back to rebuilding what it means to be in the house of God, to be with God's people at 12 Stone Home, 12 Stone Live. See, work went remote. And some of us have not rebuilt the habits of hard work. Some of y'all are still daffy ducking it on Zoom calls, shirt, no pants. That's okay, but it's time to rebuild. See, some of us for school, we went to remote learning. And if you're honest, you're not giving it the same level of attention that you gave it 12, 14, 15 months ago. See, COVID is a unique tragedy. Because it didn't just rob us of our stuff, our restaurants, our rhythms. It robbed us of our values. The very thing that God designed us to build our life on have sort of crumbled. And that, that might sound aggressive and you're like, my life has not crumbled. But if you're honest, there are places where the walls of your world have begun to shake and crack and maybe it's time to start rebuilding them. But the thing that's complicated about COVID is how it happened. Sometimes you have to sort of do an autopsy of what happened to know how to bring things back. The last tragedy at this level that our country's faced was probably 9-11. I still remember where I was when the towers fell that morning. Do you? Like, I still can remember what that felt like. But here's what's different. The towers fell in a morning. 
And I can still remember our president standing on the rubble of what had fallen and declaring, country, it's time to rebuild. 24, 48 hours later, we were already in the rebuilding season. But if 9-11 was like an explosion that hit us, COVID was like watching a slow floodwaters rise and take out your house. Like it wasn't a massive explosion. It slowly just eroded all the things and took over. And so COVID sort of slid in slowly and it's going to slide out slowly. And it happens so gradually that maybe you don't even realize what's broken down in you. You see, like a car accident, you know the fallout quickly. With something this slow, it's so hard to even examine what is broken down inside of me. See, I want want to offer a thought to you. It's really important. I don't believe there is going to be an obvious declarative rebuild moment. I don't think we're going to have the bullhorn on the rubble moment saying, it's time to rebuild. The unction to rebuild will not be given to you from the outside in. You're going to have to make that decision. Someone else is not going to tell you that. It's not going to be a definitive. The trumpets blare and it's time. You're going to have to decide when is it time for me to rebuild. And my prayer for the next three weeks is that many of you, hundreds of you, maybe thousands of you would would agree it is time to rebuild the things that crumbled in this COVID season. You see, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the life of Nehemiah with the expressed purpose of inviting you to rebuild three values that God invites your life to be built on. The first is worship, then it's community, the relationships around you, and then it's impact. Your life was meant for more. Today, we we invite you into rebuilding worship. So the story of Nehemiah is where we're going to camp today. And many of you know the story. I sort of alluded to it. Nehemiah is the guy that got invited to rebuild the walls. But in order to sort of catch all of us up to that, I asked Pastor Trey Hildebrand, our Snellville campus pastor, one of the teachers on our teaching team. I said, Trey, would you just do a deep dive into the life of Nehemiah? Catch all of us up. How did we get to the place where the walls of Jerusalem had crumbled? And so would you help me welcome Pastor Trey here and across the campuses? Bring it. Thanks, brother. All right, all right. So let's jump in. Let's get started. I I get to have some fun around history. And I wonder uh, if any of you would be honest with me. I think there's two types of people typically when it comes to history. Either you kind of like it, like you can watch the History Channel and get excited and intrigued by it. And some of you hear the word history and you're already kind of dozing off. And so I wonder which one you are. If you kind of like it, you can handle history. You get interested by it. Okay, how many of you are already starting to fall asleep at the start of my teaching? Yep, you guys, two hands, two hands. Now stand up, jumping jacks. We're going to make sure that together we stay awake for this because it's so important what we learn from the history of Israel, Nehemiah, because what it's going to show us is something about the character of God. That's why history is so important. When we can see something from the past that's significant for today, we learn something, in this case from Scripture, about the character of God, and we're also going to learn something about ourselves and our role in rebuilding. So let's get moving. Jason already gave you a big picture kind of snapshot, but I want to do that again so that we we have a clear picture in our mind of what's happening, and then we can work down from there. The book of Nehemiah tells a story of how a group of exiled Jewish men and women come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city. 
We're going to look at some biblical context, some historical context. We're even going to look at a timeline of events, and we're going to look at the purpose of the rebuild. But before we do that, I, I want to push us to think differently about how we typically read Scripture. Because here's what we typically do when we read Scripture. We... we Put the person, there's a biblical hero, there's a person in scripture, and we tend to elevate them in our, eye, in our mind's eye as extraordinary. We think of them as far exceeding the ability of the average person. Fill in the blank with a Bible story or a Bible hero, a Bible figure, and what we tend to do is to set them as higher than ourselves. Yet the refrain of scripture reading, the refrain of storytelling all throughout the Bible is that God uses ordinary, normal, average people. He's kind and powerful, but he chooses ordinary, average people to do extraordinary things to make a lasting impact. So as we read Nehemiah, we should not get lost in the accomplishments of a man as if Nehemiah has something that you and I don't have. The legacy of Nehemiah is not that Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the walls himself. The legacy of Nehemiah is that he was available and obedient to be used by an extraordinary God. And he invites us into a very similar relationship. Ordinary, average, normal. No offense, that's, that's who we are. Ordinary, average, normal people. Invited, accepted and useful for incredible kingdom work. In fact, the book of Nehemiah is not primarily about this man with a plan and rebuilding the city walls. This is what Nehemiah is primarily about. I really hope that this statement gets burned into your minds and into your heart over the next three weeks. Nehemiah is primarily about God. He's the central figure. He's pr it's primarily about God restoring a worshiping people to himself. Do you see that? Nehemiah is primarily about God restoring a worshiping people to himself. God is the main character. He's the primary focus. He's the person that deserves our attention because all of scripture points back to him. Every verse, every chapter, every book, every story, God is the central figure of the whole of the Bible. And what we can learn from a story like this is something key to the character of God, something key to helping us understand God. And today it's this, that it is in the very nature of God to restore broken things. Nehemiah is a history of how God picked up broken things and broken people and restored purpose and belonging. That's who God was then. That's who God is now. And it's who God will continue to be. He rebuilds broken things. And as God invited Nehemiah into this, we stand and we live in a pivotal moment in history where we have a similar decision to make. As Jason asked, will we rebuild? But before we do that, before we get to that, that central question, let's do some history work. When you read Old Testament history, really when you read any part of the Bible, it's important that you take smaller Bible stories and realize that they are set into a larger story of God's plan of redemption. So every verse, every chapter, every book, every story in scripture has its place in the larger story of God's plan to restore his glory among his people and to save his people. There's not a word out of place in God's story. And Nehemiah is sandwiched between Ezra and Esther in the Old Testament. All three of these books uh, uh, kind of happening around the same setting, around the same time. 
describing the events of, God, of, of what's happening to a particular group of people while these people are in exile away from their home. In fact, Ezra and Nehemiah are written by the same author, Ezra, as most people believe. Ezra was an interesting uh, Old Testament figure because he was a scribe and a priest. As a priest, he represented the voice of God to the people of God. As a scribe, he wrote down the, the activity of God's people so that future generations could worship. He recorded things so that people would know what God had done in the past so that future generations could worship. So Ezra is a scribe and a priest, and he writes both Nehemiah and Ezra. And in fact, they, they, most scholars believe that these are actually one historical document. That this was one, one, one volume, one book, one true story of how an exiled Jewish people came back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And chronologically, Nehemiah is the, uh, records the last historical events of the Old Testament. Now, I know if you, if you have your Bible open, maybe you already noticed that Nehemiah isn't the last book in the Old Testament, but it is the last historical book in the Old Testament. There are other books beyond Nehemiah that, that, that you'll see before you get to the New Testament, and these are mainly poetry and prophecy, while Nehemiah records the, is historical in its form and records the last, the last historical events of the Old Testament. And so today we want to start in Nehemiah chapter 1, and now we set the stage a little bit, we can begin to see what's happening and what God is, is asking of us. So remember... Nehemiah chapter one, the Jewish people, God's chosen people have been defeated and exiled and they are scattered all over the ancient world. And now they're living under Persian rule. Nehemiah chapter one picks up in the year 445 BC, where Nehemiah, a Jewish man, is actually the cupbearer to the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. The cupbearer was an interesting position because he had kind of a, a place of honor inside of the Persian palace, but he was also pretty expendable. What a, what a, what a cupbearer would do is he'd sample the wine He'd sample the drink, he'd sample the food of the king. And the idea was that if it was poisonous, he'd kill that guy and not the king. And so what Nehemiah is doing is he's sampling the things that are supposed to come to King Artaxerxes and to protect King Artaxerxes. But what's happening right now in this moment, in the year 445 BC, is Persia is kind of in control. In fact, they, they have such control in the ancient world at this time that they don't really have any capable enemies. So ultimately, what Nehemiah is getting to do is he's getting able, he's getting uh, the opportunity to eat what the king eats and drink what the king drinks. He's living it up in the palace. He's comfortable, a lavish lifestyle around 800 miles away from Jerusalem, from his home. But it's here in comfort in the palace where Nehemiah gets a message that changes everything. Nehemiah chapter one, starting in verse two, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned about them, the Jewish remnant, a group of people that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah gets word. That in this moment, that Jerusalem is, has been destroyed. It's still destroyed. He thinks maybe it isn't anymore. Maybe they've done a little bit better. But in fact, the city is still in ruin. He, so he makes a decision. He moves from the comfort of the palace into his calling as someone to rebuild. And before we can look a little bit deeper at the, what the rebuilding would have, would have looked like, we need to answer a really important question. It's this. 
why were the broken down walls a big deal? Why was this such a big deal that these walls had been broken down? See, in ancient times, very different from today, the walls of the city were often considered more important than a nation's army. The walls represented protection. The walls represented defense. But maybe even more important than that, the walls represented home. The walls represented identity and even legacy. And the walls surrounded uh, the, the Jerusalem city center with gates strategically placed for passage in and out. So bear with me for a second. This is Jerusalem. Here are the walls surrounding the city. In some places, maybe only 12 feet tall. Some archaeologists believe in some places as tall as 40 feet made of stone and wood. And without these walls, the city could not even control its own, its own affairs. There couldn't control economics and commerce or religious activity. There was no protection against bands of robbers or enemy armies. So we cannot overstate the importance of Jerusalem's walls. And we step back into this cultural moment 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. We have to, to feel it the way they felt it, or we're not going to get this, church. They felt it like this. A city with broken walls represented a defeated people. Do you feel it? The city without walls represented a defeated people. And many of us have felt that defeat, as Jason said. The destruction of Jerusalem's walls left people exposed and in shame. And so rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was important because it demonstrated God's blessing. It was a sign to Israel's enemies that God was with them. And so when Nehemiah gets the message from his brother in Nehemiah chapter one, his heart breaks. He can't stand it. His people are in distress. And the city of God, the city recognized as the place of the presence and the worship of God is without honor and without worship, which ultimately that's why it's so important that the walls of Jerusalem would get rebuilt. It's not that uh, the walls to be finished was a point in themselves. It's not an elaborate plan of, of, of craftsmanship to rebuild these beautiful walls. It wasn't even defense from the enemies. That wasn't the main point. The main point is worship. Worship was the main reason it mattered that we would rebuild these walls, that Nehemiah would rebuild these walls. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was a signifying step in rebuilding the worship of God's people. And that's the point of rebuilding here at 12 Stone, is that we would have worship re-energized and, and refreshed in us. And in a defeated and distracted time, we place our eyes and our affection on Jesus, and we allow him to restore what's been lost inside of us. And so in Nehemiah, God is showing off his nature that he restores things, and he's initiating a restoration plan for his people. And we see the scope of this by stepping into a timeline. So that's what we're going to do. So buckle up. Here we go. We start Nehemiah. We already said in the year 445 BC. But to really understand what's happening, we need to move back about 500 years to the year 931 BC, where Israel, God's people, this nation is split into two. They're going through a little bit of a, of a civil war. They're moving away from the heart of God. In fact, that was the refrain of scripture. They'd move away from the favor of God and back into the favor of God. And at this point, they have decided to split. The, the northern tribes of Israel form uh, the northern kingdom, which bears the name Israel. And then the southern tribe, Judah, where Jerusalem actually is, where the temple of God actually is, forms the southern tribe 
of, of Judah. This is also where King David, the line of David, the royalty of Israel would be a part of Judah. And it's here that we, we see this wicked thing begin to happen because, and, and here's, and here's what's honest. We, we don't have the exact king equivalent in, in our culture, so we just pick some evil faces for you. You know, you have wicked king after wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. How many of you know who all four of these folks are? I don't know who the third guy is, so don't, don't. Here's what I know. He looks bad. He, but Israel, listen, you, you, you get the picture. Israel has wicked king after wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. And essentially what God had promised us in the Bible was that if you draw away from his ways, he promised this in the Old Testament, if you pull away from his ways and you pull away from his spirit, away from his commandments, he would allow for uh, Israel to be defeated and they would lose the promised land. And we begin to see that take place. I think about being a parent of kids. Any parents out there, you get this? Like I can look my kids in the eyes and tell them what to do, and they go and do the thing that I said not to do. It's kind of how Israel's interacting with God. They'd, they'd hear from God, and they'd go do the thing that God said not to do. Um, and I can handle my kids, um, like their sin nature when they're young. You know what I'm talking about? When they're young, and, and, and they kind of just do bad things, like they arch their back and hit a little bit when they don't get their way. Well, like What I can't handle is when they're like purposely disobedient. Recently, we started playing, uh, we were playing an a, a audio book in my kids' room so they could go to sleep to hear a story. And about 10.30, we go in to grab the, the iPad, and my seven-year-old, almost seven-year-old, is sitting up playing a Power Rangers game on the iPad. Like, he, he knows that he shouldn't do this. And, and, and in those moments, you're, you're thinking, man, like, I really, I really see your sin. Like, your sin is showing and in a much more serious way, Israel is being, is being taken away from the heart of their heavenly father. Judah holds on a little bit longer, though. Uh, before then, though, Israel moves forward in the year 722 BC. Israel is defeated and scattered by the Assyrians. Remember, that's part of the consequence of drifting from God's ways. Judah does it a little bit differently. They hold on and they go, wicked king, godly king. Wicked king, godly king. <laughs> And, and hey, and before, and before you Star Wars nerds start freaking out on me, I know Han Solo is not a king, but you get the idea. So they, they hold on a little bit longer, but fast forward to the year 605 BC, and even Judah is sacked by the Babylonians. And don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. Israel has been defeated and scattered. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple of God has been destroyed. The walls have been torn down, and they go into 70 years of exile. God's people have no home. They don't know where they belong. They are scattered all over the ancient world. They get to go everywhere but the center of their worship. They have no home. But there's a theme in scripture where we are consistently disobedient. God is consistently faithful. And in spite of Israel's consistent disobedience, God moves on them in faithfulness and he begins a plan of restoration. And remember, God chooses ordinary, average people. He chooses Nehemiah to be a part of this plan of restoration. So let's watch this unfold. In the year 539 BC, we've already mentioned Persia. Persia takes over as the power in the ancient world. Not those Persians. Um, by the way, pause. Cats get a bad reputation at 12 Stone. 
So where are my cat people at? This is your moment. This is your moment. Turns out you can be a Christian and a cat person. You, amen. And I just sealed my fate as the cat guy at 12 stone. But so not those Persians, but the Persians take over in the year 539 BC. And what's interesting about this is a king named Cyrus is, is king of Persia and God only by God, God moves on his heart and King Cyrus, the king of Persia has the conviction in his spirit to start sending Jewish men and women home. The only way that is explained is if the sovereign moving hand moves the heart of King Cyrus. And I am amazed at that. I'm amazed that God would grasp the hand of a foreign pagan leader and use him as part of this plan of restoration. And I'm reminded that God can use anyone and do anything. And so this pioneer group of Jewish families makes the first return back to Jerusalem in the year 539 BC. Picture this. They travel hundreds of miles back to Jerusalem and their city is destroyed. The walls are down. Their hearts are broken. The work is overwhelming, but God's given them a path back. And so they begin to rebuild in the year 516 BC. They actually rebuild the temple, but don't miss this. They rebuild the temple in 516 BC, but they don't rebuild the walls. The temple is open for worship, but the city is exposed. Therefore, worship is threatened. The way I thought about it was this. The temple has been rebuilt, but the people are still torn down. The walls, they, they built the temple and they just didn't continue the work. The walls are still torn down. Fast forward a few decades to, to our king Artaxerxes. This is the same king that Nehemiah worked for. He takes over in the year 464 BC. And just as a, a moment of kind of fun Bible trivia, I mentioned Esther earlier. Esther is a woman. She's a hero of the Old Testament. Esther happens about 483 to 473 BC. She is a Jewish woman who gains favor in the Persian royal family. And God uses her to remind us of his faithfulness. There she is. Um, but then we come back to the story. Artaxerxes takes over in 464 BC, which brings us back to 445 BC, where Nehemiah chapter one started. So now that you have a little bit of that timeline, here's what happens. It's at that time when God steps back into this moment with Nehemiah, where he is given the blessing of the Persian king. He worships God, and then he's given the blessing of the Persian king to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. And it only takes Nehemiah and a band of other uh, of Jewish men and women to rebuild 52 days. It takes them 52 days to rebuild. What had been torn down for 150 plus years takes 52 days to rebuild. That is the power of our restoring God and a group of ordinary men and women who say yes. God restores and a group of ordinary men and women say yes. And the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was a great work of restoration. But the world was waiting on an even greater work of restoration. Because this story is just a shadow of what God was going to provide. It's really interesting to note here that after rebuilding the walls, there is a 400 year silence between God and his people and then Jesus. 400 years of silence between Nehemiah finishing the walls and then Jesus stepping in and Jesus enters into our broken world and he brings about the ultimate plan of restoration and salvation and rebuilding. 
Silence has been broken between us and God by the person of Jesus, and we are still living in that restoration plan today. This is the hope of Jesus. The greatest restoration the world has ever seen. We live on that side of it, and so we have great hope. The end of the, new, uh, of, the end of the Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the apostles, has a testimony about who Jesus is. And he says, and the God of all grace, he is merciful, he is kind, he's forgiving, he sees the broken things and he still loves you and he puts them back together. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. Hang on to that church. After you have suffered a little while. I know that some of you are in great pain. We see it. Your church sees it. God sees your pain. Hold on. Hold on. Because after you have suffered a little while, God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And this is the restoration plan that we live in today. And Jason's going to help us find our place in it. So thank you, Jason. Whoa. Thank you, Trey. Nothing like 500 years of history in just a couple minutes. See, we, we serve a restoring and rebuilding God. And you see the size of the history that we're stepping into. And so we see the whole of the book of Nehemiah in just a few minutes. And what was in rubble for hundreds of years was rebuilt in 52 days. See, I think you'll find the same thing to be true of our God. As we begin to engage the rebuilding, I think you'll see things that have been broken down for 12 months. God begins to restore quite quickly. And you'll see the metaphor of the story of Nehemiah. I think the walls serve as a great metaphor for our lives. If we would be honest, the first thing Nehemiah had to recognize is that the walls were down. He could have ignored it and said, I'm just going to stay in the palace. I'm going to pretend like everything's fine. But instead, he, he said, no, I have to acknowledge that the walls are down. And if we're honest, we've got to acknowledge that there's some walls that have fallen down over the past 12 months. Maybe they're relationship walls. You're living isolated. You're living outside of accountability. You broke the rhythms of date night that makes marriage work. Financial walls. Maybe you're living outside your means. Maybe Amazon has be became your crutch to live through the hopelessness and lack of optimism this past year has given you. Maybe you've given up on the financial principles that sort of build your life correctly, character walls. You're living outside of God's commands in Scripture. You gave yourself permissions you never would have 12 months ago. Habits, substances, internet search history, short fuse with people. Spiritual walls maybe have fallen. You're not worshiping every seven days. You're getting selfish with your finances. You're not sitting inside of God's word and prayer like you once did, and your soul's dry. If we're honest, there are places that our walls have crumbled. And if we're going to build back, we have to ask the question, what do we do? Like this has to get practical at some point. Over the next three weeks, we're going to do that. But we're going to start where Nehemiah started in Nehemiah 1.4. Trey read this. I want to read this again. Here's what it says. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Notice, notice Nehemiah. Before he ever engages the wall, he engages worship. 
The first thing Nehemiah did was not go buy a shovel or lift a stone, but it was to engage the presence of God in worship. See, he had a a physical, practical issue in front of him. He had something physical. The walls were actually in rubble. And some of us get so preoccupied with the physical things, but he did, his first response was not primarily a physical one. It was a spiritual one. That's why the first thing we have to rebuild is worship. So how do we rebuild worship? I think Nehemiah gives us the roadmap because after he fasted and prayed and mourned for some time, he went to God in prayer. And his prayer, I believe, will serve as a roadmap for us to rebuild worship. So I want us to walk through his prayer in Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 5. Here's where he starts. He starts with acknowledging truths about God's goodness and his character. Here's what he says in Nehemiah 1.5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. He starts out the whole thing by acknowledging who God is. God had not done anything for him yet. God had not fixed the walls. The city was still in ruin. He was still in heartbreak. But he, he knew, I have to start by acknowledging who God is. And maybe inside of this year, you've got to come back and acknowledge who God is, the great and awesome God that we serve. It starts there because it, it repositions. It allows us to see the problems and the things that have crumbled around us in light of who God is. You start by acknowledging who God is, but it doesn't end there. After he acknowledges God, the second thing he does is he has to admit his sin. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands. See, when you get a clear view of who God is, it always helps you look in the mirror and go, ah, I see where I've fallen short. See, we've got to start, as we rebuild worship, we've got to start by admitting the places where we've gotten lazy, sloppy, sinful over the past 12 months. What, what part did we have in the things that crumbled in our life? Can we, can we be honest? COVID is a great scapegoat for the things you just wanted to do. Can we be honest? We, we can't blame everything that crumbled in our life this past year on COVID. If you're honest, there are places that you took permissions just because you wanted to. Oh, but it's because of COVID. See, what God's calling us back to is to get honest with him. Where are the places you have to admit, God, I had a hand in what broke this year. Bring those things to him. This is how you rebuild worship. You acknowledge who he is, then you admit your sin, the places that, that you've had a hand in what's broken, just like Nehemiah did. Third, we have to align our lives with his ways. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, just like Trey said. But if you return to me and obey my commands, if you will return, if you will align your life with me, I will partner in the rebuilding. I will bring the people back to Israel, and I will give you the power you need to rebuild. And as you rebuild, listen, God does not give his power for your purposes. God grants his power for his purposes. And if your life is not aligned to the things of God, just like the people of Israel, things will stay broken down. See, in Romans, this is how the Apostle Paul says it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's inviting us to not live by the pattern of this world, but to live swimming upstream, to live differently, to align yourself to the things of God, the commands of God, the promises of God. Where are the places, if you're honest, that you're misaligned? Like a car that's misaligned, it doesn't drive straight. See, I wonder if this year inside of COVID, if, if your compass isn't pointed true north anymore. I wonder if there are, there are places a year and two years ago that your, your compass was aligned to the things of God, but inside of COVID, it just started to go a little wonky. And maybe God would just invite you back and say, listen, align yourself. Let me just give you one place. I'm going to soapbox for a minute. This, not by, this might not be for everybody. Like if you're a red light, if you've got like underlying conditions and you've got things that you're like, dude, COVID is really serious for me. Great. This, this might not be for you. But for a lot of us, rebuilding worship might start with you getting back to church. Like you coming back to 12 Stone Live or 12 Stone Home. You just declaring, I'm not going to watch service as a consumer on my cell phone anymore. I'm not going to watch it alone by myself because that's not how I was designed to do church. Like it might be time to return and rebuild every seven days. Listen, of necessity, church was cut off and it went digital a year ago. Had to happen. But now the majority of kids are back. Some doctors and scientists are saying herd immunity could be here by April or May. Praise Jesus. And maybe it's time to come back to 12 Stone Home. Things are clearly shifting. Maybe it's time to come back to 12 Stone Live. Things are shifting. And listen, if you're building back at the ball fields, the golf course, restaurants, shopping, vacations, trips, and you're not building back at church, you might want to rethink that. Church, it's time to rebuild the things that have broken in COVID, and you cannot rebuild alone. God invites us to come back. So listen, maybe you need, like, you're waiting for that bullhorn on the rubble moment. It's time to rebuild. You're not going to get that. This might be the closest thing you get. Circle Easter. Say, you know what? Maybe I'm just coming back one time. I'll just come back one Sunday, and that's going to start to build things in my soul again. Circle Easter and say, I'm bringing my family to church on Easter at 12 Stone Live or 12 Stone Home. We're not doing Easter alone. I don't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on a treadmill watching a cell phone. I celebrate that with the people of God. Amen? That's the invitation. And don't hear that as a guilt trip. That is not. You come back to church and fill the seat. No. It's come back to rebuild worship. And God designed worship to be done in community with others. So we have to align ourselves to the things of God. And then lastly, worship invites us to ask. And Nehemiah has a very practical thing he needs from God. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Remember, Nehemiah had to go to King Artaxerxes and say, will you let me leave and go home? He had no reason to do it. So he had to go to God and say, God, will you change the heart of a king on my behalf? I don't know about you, I don't have a king other than Jesus, but there are places that I need God to change things on my behalf, don't you? See, as you rebuild worship, you rebuild a boldness in what you ask God for. And we have to ask God, God, would you go before us as we rebuild? God, would you go before me and help me rebuild my marriage? God, would you go before me and help me rebuild the financial things that I got sloppy in? 
God, would you go before me and help me rebuild my soul? There's things that are broken and dry. God, help me rebuild my character. I don't like what I see in the mirror right now. See, God asks us, God invites us to ask him. That's why Nehemiah started here with worship. Before he picked up a stone, he picked up worship. Before he rebuilt a wall, he rebuilt worship. And there's a reason we start here. Because worship gives us access to the person and the power of God. And we're not going to rebuild from all that crumbled the last 12 months without the person and the power of God. So 12 stone, we have a decision to make in front of us. Jesus is inviting us into a moment in history unlike anything other. And I believe the church can shine over these next several weeks and months like it never has before. See, if you love Jesus and this kind of stuff crumbled in your life, imagine not having any anchor of, of the gospel anywhere in your life. What has crumbled in our world? The things that you'd be embarrassed if people knew about these past 12 months, the places and the permissions you gave yourself that you're like, oh God, bring those back, forgive me. If you did that, think about people with no God. The world needs the church to rebuild and it's time. And I want to give you one little picture from the timeline. I want you to see something from this timeline. Throw the timeline back up there for me. Maybe. Here's what I want you to see. 539 BC, the first exiles, the first Israelites return to Jerusalem. They see that the city is destroyed and it takes all the way over to here, 445 BC for Nehemiah to start building. That means they were comfortable walking in the rubble for 94 years before they rebuilt. There is danger in delay. Church, it's really dangerous for us to get comfortable and get used to walking in the rubble of what fell apart this year. To get used to the patterns of this is how life works now. I don't do fitness. I don't do character. I don't do anything in my faith. I don't do date night. I don't do this. I don't do that. These people would have literally had to step over the rubble of the wall to get to the temple. They would have stepped over the, the thing that would make them look like a defeated people. It would, they would step over the things that made their God look not powerful to go to the temple and worship him and not rebuild for 94 years. Oh, there's a danger in getting comfortable living in the rubble. And I would encourage you, church. Oh, there's great danger in delay. Oh, God, would you grant a holy discontent with the rubble this week? God, give us a holy discontent with how things have been for the past 12 months and say, I'm going to rebuild. And I want to invite us as a church into a very specific place of rebuilding worship. And I'm going to invite us to do the same thing Nehemiah did. We're calling you the church. 12 Stone Home, 12 Stone Live, 12 Stone wherever you are. We're calling you to a week of prayer and fasting. See, we don't start rebuilding with the practical stuff. We start with the spiritual and say, God, I rebuild worship before I rebuild anything else. So here's the specific invitation. This week, take your lunch hour every day and don't eat. Set your food aside and pick up your faith for an hour and say, God, I'm going to engage you in prayer. Some of you, it might mean canceling lunch meetings. I get it. From 12 to 1 or 11.30 to 12.30, whatever your lunch hour is, you, you pause, you pray, and you fast, and you follow the pattern that Nehemiah laid out. You start by acknowledging who God is. 
And I would invite you to use the Psalm of the day. Remember, we're walking through 150 days of Psalms. Use the Psalm of the day tomorrow morning, Psalm 43. Pick it up and read and acknowledge something that's true about God. And then admit the places that you have sinned. Admit the places that you're feeding into the brokenness. And then ask God, where do I need to align my life to you? If I'm going to rebuild these things, I got to align my life to you. And then lastly, ask him, where do you want the power of God to help you rebuild? Where are the places that your walls of character, relationships, spiritual walls have crumbled this year, financial walls have crumbled? Where are the places you would ask God, give me your power to rebuild the things that have broke down over the past 12 months? See, the invitation is to worship and to rebuild the things that broke this year. So what we want to do today, we want to end in a moment in a little pocket of prayer together. And we're going to pray this over you. So across the campuses, campus pastors, you can step up on stage and you can kind of do hands up prayer over the congregation as Trey and I lead. But we want to invite you into this exact prayer. And this is sort of modeling what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday might look like this week. But this is, this is what Nehemiah did, and this is what we're doing. So as we pray, maybe just whispering under your breath, God, would you make me discontent with the rubble? God, would you, would you invite me to rebuild the places that are broken? God, would you go before me in those things? So as we pray, would you pray with us? And Trey, would you start? And we'll go back and forth. So let's start with acknowledge who God is. And so, Father, we acknowledge that you are great and awesome. You are greater than anything that we could have ever imagined. You, the depth of your love, the depth of your power, the depth of your kindness and your patience is beyond our understanding. So as best as we can, we acknowledge it. And we say you are great and awesome. And Lord, we choose to, to acknowledge that despite our circumstances. There's some power in worship, and we can acknowledge who you are even before we see you answer our prayers, even before we see you change our circumstances. You are worthy of us saying, God, we worship you, and we love you. So we step into this moment, and we, God, we place worth and value from our voice, from our hearts, from our thoughts to you. You are worthy and we acknowledge it, God. So we move to admit sin. So God, we confess, we bring the things before you. If you're honest, maybe the spirit of God convicted something in you where you've gotten lazy, sloppy, or sinful over these 12 months, permissions you gave yourself, places where you've drifted from the things of God. And in light of who you are, God, we stand and look in the mirror and see ourselves and go, we are so not you. You are holy and set apart, but God, we are broken. So we admit the things. We admit the sin. We admit the places that we have had a hand in the destruction of the walls these past 12 months. Maybe we have a hand in disunity in some of the ways we use social media this year, God. Maybe we admit, God, we, we've got some private world stuff that if, man, if people knew what was going on behind closed doors, they'd be embarrassed. But God, we admit those things. We bring them and we repent. God, we admit the places that we fall short. Father, I'm so thankful that as we repent, you're so kind to bring us back into to intimacy with you. And as we come near to your heart and to your mind, Lord, we want to align our lives with yours. I want to look at the character 
that you reveal of yourself. We want to look at the pattern of Jesus. We want to look at the ways of living lined out in scripture, Lord, and we want to align our lives with that. We want to look like you, not for our own sake or for our own glory, God, but because we want to reflect you. We want people to see you when they see us. And that's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take us just coming back from, from just lip service. That worship is so much more than lip service. It's so much more than, than words. It is aligning our lives, our values, our behavior, our relationships with yours. Now, not, because, not because you're going to grade us on, uh, be upset with us when we fall off, Lord, but because we love you. We love you so much that we want to live in a way that honors you. And so, Father, we, we align our lives, change something in us, God, that needs to be changed to look more like you with how we live, Jesus. And lastly, God, we ask, bring the things before him that you'd ask. Maybe it's, God, would you rebuild marriage again? Gotten lazy in my relationship with my spouse. God, would you rebuild that? God, would you go before me like you did Nehemiah to the king? Would you go before me with my spouse? Maybe you'd ask God, God, there are habits that have turned into things that I'm abusing that are now addictions, God, and I need you to break the chains of addiction in my life. The things I used to cope through this hopeless season of lockdown, Lord, that now they've, they were crutches, now they're, they're addictions. God, would you go before me and break the power they have on my life? God, would you go before me and help me rebuild finances, Lord? There's places I've gotten sloppy, and I've just used money not as a tool, but as a crush over this season. And God, would you give me discipline? Holy Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit of, of self-discipline, Lord, would that, would that be more powerful in my life? Bring something before him. Say, God, would you help me rebuild here? Be honest about where the walls have come down and where you need the power of God to rebuild. And so, God, I ask, would you use these next several weeks together? Would you, would you meet with your church Monday through Friday this week as we fast and pray together? Would, you, would your spirit meet us there? Would that not just be talking to the ceiling, but Holy Spirit, would you meet us? And God, over this week, would you make us wholly discontent with the rubble? And would you give us a desire and a hunger like we read? Would we hunger and thirst for your presence? And would we rebuild God, rebuild your church, rebuild your people, rebuild your purpose and mission you have for us. Because there's no one like you, Jesus. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.